Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jordan. The sun is shining, and I'm very grateful for that. I don't know if this is what they refer to as fool's spring, like akin to fool's gold, uh, but uh, uh, I'm glad that it is sunny and warm, and praise God for that. So yeah. that is, uh, that's a wonderful thing. Amen. Well, I, I just want to say I was really excited by your sermon on Sunday, and just as you were talking, there was just like a lot of flashes and connections to other scriptures that were popping in my mind. So I'm, I'm really excited about today's episode. Man, that's awesome. That's really cool. I, I love this story. It is phenomenal. Uh, at Vespers on Sunday night, I kind of got to go back and 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 cover the, the time between the times of Lydia and the Philippian jailer and what led Paul and Silas to go to prison and, yeah. and all of that just... I told him, I said, we've been in Acts 16 for a while now, but there's so much that happens in Acts 16, and and so it is wonderful to be able to cover that. And I'm also looking forward to taking other people to Philippi here in just weeks um, and uh, looking forward to what we'll be able to see there. So very grateful um, for those opportunities and very grateful for this story. I'm glad that I'm glad that the message was was uh, encouraging to you on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's another one of those stories where it's like, you know, oh, what about the, what about the Python girl? You know, the fortune teller girl. Oh like, what, man, you yeah. know what, what's going on there? But uh, uh, that's another time. That's another show. So, yeah. <laughs> I think that could be a very worthwhile show as well. Too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but today we do have a full, full episode talking about the Philippian jailer. So the passage from Sunday was Acts 16, 25 through 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all those who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Okay, so you have this passage where Paul and Silas have been imprisoned in Philippi, and it's the salvation of this Philippian jailer. Okay, so the passage says that this happened at about midnight, where there was this miraculous earthquake that set them free. It reminds me of this passage in Exodus 11:4, where Moses is prophesying that God would strike Egypt with the tenth plague, the plague of the firstborn, at about midnight, and then uh, the Israelites were, you know, thus freed from captivity, and the Exodus happened. And then similarly in Acts 12, Peter was imprisoned and then miraculously freed during the night, which happened also at a Passover time. <laughs> you know, th- so there's all these little little connections and stories that are happening at you know about midnight or or in the night. Yeah. Um, 
but this story doesn't really play out the same way. It doesn't really seem like a like a prison break story, right? <laughs> That's right. So what, what what are the similarities and what are the differences here? Well, I think, first of all, recognizing that these early witnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus, his death and crucifixion and salvation in Christ— we're not afraid to go to jail mm. if that's what their ministry necessitated. I mean, so many times you see that they're imprisoned overnight. And I, I can say, having been in what is believed to be the the cell in which Jesus was held overnight as he was awaiting condemnation, um, it is not a pleasant experience in, in the city of Jerusalem or in and around these places. I mean, what we picture as prison now— is not what they experienced as prison then. Often it was pits that, you know, it was yeah. just, it was the pits, literally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was it was not good. So recognizing that these early missionaries were willing to endure whatever they had to endure to do the job to which God had called and commissioned them. And I think that that's a phenomenal thing. I think that there's a sense in which their hope in God whether it was Paul and Silas or whether it was Peter and John or whoever the, whoever it was, their hope in God was consistent throughout their imprisonment. And, and I think for me, when I read these accounts, it's really easy to read them quickly and not think about the fact that time is passing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not just put into prison for a minute and then they're back out and everything's fine. And, and when we live our lives, we live moment by moment, not just story by story. I mean, even when I tell stories of things that have happened in my life, I can make it seem like they were over in an instant, and yeah. that's not the case. And so you have these moment by moment uh lives that that aren't necessarily told in the stories of those moments. And and I think of that a lot, quite frankly, when um, we're having to endure things, we're having to go through difficult times. You know, so often I'll think back to biblical stories and think about, well, what did the biblical characters do? Think about Joseph, for example, who was imprisoned for at least two years because we know it was two whole years from the time that the cupbearer was restored to his ministry to the king, to Pharaoh, before Joseph came out. Well, so I've, I've found myself thinking, what was what was a day like for Joseph? What was a morning like? What was an evening like when he had to kind of wrestle with the disappointment of today was not my day of deliverance? And, and, and where did his thoughts go? We're going through Job right now as we read through the reading plan, and we get a little insight into Job's thoughts as he processes what's gone on and what's going on in his life with his such encouraging friends who are there to tell him what a great sinner he is and how he probably deserved everything that he was enduring. Mm. Great friends. Um, But we get a little bit of a sense into what's going on in his mind and in his life. We get a little bit of sense of what's going on in David's mind and life because of the Psalms. You know, when I think about um, David's interlude with Bathsheba and his being confronted by the prophet Nathan, we know exactly what David was thinking thereafter because he wrote Psalm 51. And that's so encouraging. And so to me, to think about Paul and Silas in the prison cell, they're waiting on the Lord. But what's midnight like? You know, one of the things that strikes me about this story is the jailer calls for lights. Mm. That's not flipping a switch. That's bringing torches in. They probably were sitting in complete darkness with maybe ambient light from some torches outside of the jail, maybe. 
but they're probably sitting in complete darkness to the degree that even when the jailer calls for lights, it's fire. You know, this is not flipping on the overhead fluorescence. So it's a different experience. And what are they doing? They are, they are praying and they are praising God. And they are not afraid of their circumstance because they know that their God is greater. Peter, when he was in prison, was not afraid of his circumstance because he knew that his God was greater. Um, and all these heroes of the faith... But when we think about midnight, think about that is that is the middle of the night. And uh, if you got a full moon, you got some good light. But if you don't, it can be very, very dark. And I think even taken allegorically, God steps into the darkness and, and speaks hope. And so maybe some of our listeners are in a moment of midnight right now where it's very dark in their lives. Well, we have a God who breaks into those moments and speaks hope, and what a blessing that is. So I think a good lesson is to do what Paul and Silas are doing. They're praying. James said, is any one of you struggling, suffering? Pray. Uh, they're singing hymns to God, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. They're worshiping God, and their hope in God is speaking to the other prisoners, we know, because the Bible explicitly says that the other prisoners could hear them. Yeah. And even it happening at midnight is interesting because I, I was reading in um, Jewish literature at some point that there's some question of like how people back in the day knew when midnight was, right? So, you know, the, in, in this Exodus account, you know, Moses says that about midnight is going to happen. But then after that, it says it happened at midnight that God came in and struck Egypt with the 10th plague. So it's like, well, how do, you know, how do we, you know, derive when midnight exactly is? But that's sort of a moot question because it's like, well, God is just precise. Like, yeah. he's trustworthy. Like, he said that it was going to happen at midnight, and it happened at midnight. So his promises, you know, are worthwhile and something that we can hang our hat on because, you know, story after story, we see these things happen at when he says they're going to happen, or, you know, in this case, it's about midnight. It happens at a precise time because God is a precise God, and he's someone that we can rely upon because he keeps his word. Amen. Wow. Yeah, what a, what a great encouragement for sure. Now, part of me also wondered if Paul just wanted to uh, uh, have his uh, due process and get his uh, Romans rights respected, you know. <laughs> well, and you know what's funny? Uh, you go to the end of the story. I took Vespers to the end of the story as well. We didn't cover this, but if you if you go down to verse 35 in Acts chapter 16, the magistrates are like, let them go. And the jailer's like, hey, you guys are free. And Paul's like, not so fast. Mm -hmm. We're Roman citizens. <laughs> Y'all did some wrong things, and you're not just going to whisk us away. You know, you're you're going to pay the piper, and uh, and so I think that that's an interesting thing too. Paul, um, Paul had a little edge to him, and I yeah. appreciate that about Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so then the the jailer during this passage asked, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" And then Paul and Silas said, "Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household." But, but it's interesting that they say that the whole household will be saved before the family even hears the gospel. So was the jailer's household saved because of the jailer's faith? Mm. That's, a, that's a really good question, yeah. um, and I'm going to say the answer is no. Now, I can't say, well, if you look at this sentence within this passage, it will tell you. But what I can say is that the, the whole counsel of Scripture, particularly in the New Testament— 
um, never indicates that someone is saved because their family member believes. Mm. Right. So in First Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is talking about um, the children of one believer and one non-believer and that the believer makes the children holy. Now, what does that mean? Well, remember, holy means set apart. So so the, the influence of the believer uh, is noted in the children's lives that, that they do have a believing parent, even though the other parent is unbelieving, and that causes the children to be set apart. Um, and, and so you think about this, how many people grew up with an unbelieving parent and a believing parent, and the believing parent took the kids to church? And so that's that's an amazing blessing in the lives of those children. So, but nowhere in Scripture does it indicate that we will be saved because of somebody else's faith. And so, we take the teaching of the whole Council of the New Testament as we approach this and say, well, then does the Philippian jailer's family get saved uh, because he believes? Well, I would say no. I would say that God absolutely knows, though, that they're going to be saved. And so God is communicating through these men um, that you will be saved and your household will be saved. And and what did they then do? They then spoke the word of God to them. So I think implicit within this passage is that they are speaking the word of God. And, and you look at Lydia's situation as well. I think what happened is Lydia probably joined with them in proclaiming the message of the gospel to her household. The Philippian jailer likely joined with them in proclaiming the message of the gospel to his household. Uh, another question that is often raised here is, well, see, here's evidence for the baptism of babies. Hmm. Well, how do we know that? Right, right. <laughs> well, his whole household was, was baptized, and that probably means that there were babies there. Well, no, it doesn't. I can think of my neighborhood right now, and... The number of households with babies are a remarkably small percentage of the number of households without babies. So I think that it's hard to make that argument from a lack of information there. Yeah. Um, but I've had people ask me that question before, and I think it's a worthwhile question. I just don't think that it's necessarily a good argument to to base an entire practice upon, if that makes sense. Um, so again, the Bible makes clear that each one of us will give an account for our lives. Uh, to God. And, and you know, I won't be saved because my grandmother had faith. And, and my kids won't be saved because I have faith. You know, one of the things that my wife and I did when my kids were um, in that period of life where they were exploring what it meant to trust and follow Jesus to, as I would say today, cross the starting line of faith to, to give their lives to Christ and to be baptized, we, we wrote them a letter. And in that letter, um, we told each of them when the time was right, and it wasn't at the same time, that, look, this is the most important decision you will ever make in your life, but it's a decision that we cannot make for you. Uh, one day you will stand before God and give an account of your own life, and while we want nothing but the best for you, we can't give that account of your life for you to God. You're going to have to do that. Your faith has to be yours. Uh, we can't impart faith to you. We can we can pray for you. We can teach you. We can seek to give you a godly example, but we cannot impart faith to you. Um, that's between you and the Lord and um, and what He does in your heart and the work that, that His Holy Spirit does in you. And thankfully, uh, my children have come to faith in Jesus Christ, and what a joy it was to celebrate that moment and then to celebrate their baptism as that first step of obedience in following Jesus. But yeah, um, each of us will stand before God individually to give an account for our lives. And so, uh, again, the option is I pay for my sin 
or I accept the payment of my sin in full by Jesus. Those are the only two options. Somebody's got to pay for my sin, and it's either going to be me or it's going to be Jesus. And it's not he pays for part and I pay for part. It's either he pays it all, and I receive that gift by repenting of sin and, and surrendering my life to Jesus, or I pay for it all, and I do that by going to hell. So that's, uh, that's what the issue comes down to, and it's a very important issue. So great question, though. That's a very important clarification. Yeah. Well, and even as you were talking there, I was thinking about it and wondering if, you know, this miracle that happened at the jail was part of the the final push that, you know, maybe some of these family members would have needed to um, to understand what was then later presented to them by Paul and Silas. I yeah. Mean, you know. Well, you see the miracle happen. And, and again, the Philippian jailer, I would say, and I think I mentioned this in the sermon on Sunday, you know, he did not have a full gospel presentation when he came in and fell on his face before them. What he had was a moment of despair to the degree that he was ready to take his own life. Mm-hmm. Then seeing prisoners who had been set free still sitting there encouraging him. And really what you have is him saying, "What, whatever y'all got, I want. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he had heard them praying. I'm sure he had heard them singing. What does it mean to be? I mean, he's probably heard them sharing the gospel with the fellow prisoners. So he falls on his face saying, whatever y'all got, that's what I want. And how many times has that happened in people's lives, that they see God's work in someone else's life, and they say, I want that in my life. And so they don't know everything that's going on. They don't know you know, systematic theology. They don't know the Bible. Uh, you think about Saul of Tarsus, whom we know as the Apostle Paul. You know, when he was knocked down by the blinding light on the road to Damascus, his question was, who are you, Lord? And the answer came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You know, Saul didn't know what he was getting into. He just knew that he was encountering a power that was so vast and so far beyond him, and he was ready to surrender his life to that power, and that power was Jesus. Wow. And this may or may not be true. This is just me completely speculating, and I guess I want your thought on it. So it, it almost makes me think of the encounter where uh, Jesus crossed the sea and went to the country of the Gerasenes and healed the demoniac. Um, so I've heard that put that that's almost like a, it, I mean, it literally happened, but it's almost like a prophecy of like what will happen when, you know, Jesus redeems even the nations. You know, he's going to these, you know, Gentiles and setting them free from Satan's influence, yeah. casting out demons and, you know, um, the legions of evil are cast into the sea. That, yeah. that kind of like, imagery. Um, it's almost like it, here you have, you know, he, Paul and Silas show up and they meet Lydia and, you know, the God-fearers who are there, but then they also encounter this, you know, fortune teller, but then, you know, her evil spirit's cast out yeah. and then they're put in prison, you know, but then they're set free, but, you know, they don't, you know, this guy doesn't lose his family or, and he's not punished or something like that. It's like even that guy, you know, yeah. finds salvation. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't know. It's not like, it's like, a prophecy or a vision or not true. It's just like, I don't know. In my head, it's almost like, uh, I don't know, maybe not. A, maybe you could look at it as like a, a, a metaphor for what's to come or like sure. a, a small a small vision of what's to come. Yeah, like I mean, that. I've seen the hill the pigs ran down. So, I mean, it's, yeah. it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, I think that that could very easily be true because what has happened is Jesus is setting these people free from demonic influence and he's, he's bringing them to life in 
in Christ. And um, it's really something to see, really something. Yep. So that'll take us into today's practical application question. So let's just say that a family like the jailers all comes to faith at the same time. Now what? What should they do and how can others help them? That is such a great question. Step one is find a church. I mean, find a community of faith um, with which you can grow. Uh, what you're going to find in that community of faith, whether it is a small house church or whether it is a mega church or anywhere in between, you're going to find people who can help disciple you. And I would argue that every Christian needs to be discipled. Um, what does that mean? Well, it means that you start getting into the Word, but you've got somebody who can answer questions for you because as you read the Word, questions arise. You know, just about definitely weekly, almost daily, I get questions from church members based on the reading from the day that they're they're reading through the Word of God, and they <laughs> I got a question about this. Mm. What about this? Um, and I love that because that shows that they want to grow. Um, and so being discipled uh, happens much more uh, intrinsically within a community of faith. So I would say get involved in a church, get involved in a smaller group within that church, people that you can get to know, people with whom you can grow, um, and and allow God to continue speaking truth into your life uh, as you journey together with that community of faith. I think that's that is vital. Um, alongside that, personal spiritual disciplines are so important. Reading the Bible daily, praying. Um, sharing your faith with others. Um, some people love to journal, and that's an important part of, of what they do. Um, I'm not a journaler, but um, I have been at times in my life. But getting, getting involved in your faith in a way that makes it more than just a decision that you have made, but that it is a lifestyle you are embracing to follow Jesus. Well, so I'm going to press in on that. You know, as I've said before, I have a young yeah. family. I've got two little kids. You know, so we're still kind of figuring out methods and you know how we disciple our children. But um, what about praying with a family? That you know, again, let's stick with the, uh, the jailer's family. Like, what what is praying as a family of new believers look like? I, I think um, first of all, pray. Uh, you know, that's that's such a big thing. Aaron and I, when we got married. Um, Neither one of us really grew up in families where we prayed before meals, and we, you know, I mean, there were there were some significant moments. Oh, it's Christmas, and the family's gathered, and some uncle's going to pray, you know. Um, but we just decided that we wanted to be a family when, whenever the Lord gave us children, if the Lord gave us children, that we would pray. And so, what that looks like in our family, just to make it very practical. Um, in the morning, uh, if we're taking the kids to school or before the kids leave for school, we pray with them. You know, uh, this morning I dropped my little girl off in the the car rider line at the elementary school, and and as we're sitting in the car rider line, I prayed with her, and then she got out of the car and told her I loved her and went on about her day. Um, tonight, when they go to bed, um, before before they go to sleep. Um, my wife and I will each individually now they're they're <laughs> We got teenagers now pretty much. And, um, so individually I'll go in, mom will go in, but we both make it in, um, to pray for them before bed. Um, and I think that that's just an important thing to pray at the beginning of the day and to pray at the end of the day, but then also throughout the day at meal times and things of that nature. And then certainly if there are things that are distressing to your kids, um, 
that's a that's a beautiful moment when um wow i'm i'm huh, it's a beautiful moment when you have the opportunity to take your child to almighty god say come on let's go let's go talk to our abba let's go talk to the one who loves us so much that he gave his only son for us um and I'm in a season of life right now where they'll pray for me. Mm. Like I'll pray for them, but they'll know that I've had a tough day or, or big things are on the horizon. And, um, and I'll just, and Lord, we pray this for dad. And wow. it's like, man, that is the most moving thing in the world. And it, it always stops me in my tracks. Always. So that's a cool thing because I'm starting to see them kind of grow and embrace their faith in their own way as they continue to, to make strides toward adulthood. And um, that's just really cool. So uh, I look forward to the day in your family when Isaac and Thomas begin praying for you guys too. But um, that's another thing that we've done though, like at meals, you know, it used to be always either myself or Aaron would pray for the meal. And then we started telling the kids, all right, you pray, you pray, you know, it's, it's your time. And, um, and what that's resulted in is just an ease of their willingness to pray in front of their peers, which is pretty remarkable too. Cause I would have been scared to death when I was their age to do that. So I say all that just to give very practical advice there are times that you can capture to pray. And you say, well, you're a preacher. Of course, you know you know how to pray and all this sort of thing. If you're a believer, the Lord wants to hear from you. You don't have to speak in King James English. You don't have to speak another language. You, you don't have to say any. I mean, just I'm telling you, the heart of our God is a heart of love and welcoming to come to him and to find rest in him. So just, just start talking to him. Lord, I don't know how to pray, but, but here we are. We're, we're going to do this. And uh, I thank you for my kid. And I thank you for uh, the blessings that, that you give us. And so often I forget them, but you blessed us a lot. And I pray for this situation with my child at school and, and the trouble they're having with this person or the struggle they're having in this class or, or whatever the case may be, just... God longs and desires to hear from us, and what a joy it is to be able to welcome our children onto that journey and to, and to really usher them into the presence of God by saying, let's pray together. And, and another thing that, that we don't do, but I think is so beautiful that you all do, is the practice of Shabbat. Mm-hmm. And, and there's even a moment in Shabbat where you're, you're covering over your family, and that is, um, that is a remarkable thing. So, Yeah, Shabbat is a great way to really practice praying for your family and be intentional with it. Um, and it offers good opportunities where you can, you know, say set prayers so you don't have to, you know, think so much about them. You have set things that you can say. And uh, then there are other opportunities where you can pray um, more fluently off the cuff and say what's really on your heart. So you, you reference covering your children. So there's a, a tradition within uh, Judaism where Jewish men generally will have uh, what's called a tallit. It's their... Um, prayer shawl, right? You know, so the Jewish men will have that, then they'll cover their family, you know, under that prayer shawl and pray for them. Um, I, I myself am not Jewish, so I don't, I don't practice that, but there's another time where at the, at the Sabbath evening meal, Friday night, um, I get to go to my boys, put my hands on their heads and say a blessing that's based in Genesis Mm. based on, um, Jacob blessing his grandchildren, um, and just pray, you know, 
great, incredible blessings upon them that, mm-hmm. you know, they'll be counted toward the people of God. And then, you know, I add a little bit on the end, you know, like, you know, here's, you know, here's my son, you know, may he have this. And then, you know, here's my uh, son, may he have this. Yeah. You know, so you get kind of, you know, whatever you want to put into it, you can put into it. Yeah. Um, and and I, that's something that you've referenced before, Jeff, is that prayer is like being on the phone with God. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think that you need to have, you know, rigid set things that you're praying all the time. I mean, because yeah. you wouldn't do that if you were on the phone with somebody. That's right. Um, it's just, you know, there might be times where, you know, the Lord's Prayer, like that's what's, you know, really good and strong and what you can pray corporately with others. Yeah. You know, but then there are other times where, you know, something horrible has happened and you need to, you know, pray with the words that, you know, are upon your heart right. and really hash it out and, right. you know, really be very raw. Um, and everything in between there, you know, it's, yeah. I think it's important for people to know that and that you've said that, that it's yeah. not, you know, it's not a, a thing for the, you know, the clergy class to be doing. That's you know, right. It, it's for everybody. God wants to hear from his, you know, all his children and the phone is ringing. You just have to pick it up and talk. Oh, what a, you just gave me chills. Well, let me say something. You you referenced putting your hands on your boys' heads, mm-hmm. and and I want to encourage parents um, do that. Mm-hmm. Do that. There is something that is so powerful about placing your hand upon the head of your child in blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just telling you. You know, my son is just about as tall as I am now, and there are times when, you know, I'll put my arm around him to pray over him, and I'll put my hand on his head, and and I'm reaching up above my own face at this point. It's like, whoa, this is weird. But um, there is something to be said about that, and, and I can't explain it. But you go back, as you just referenced, all the way to Genesis. You see that as a practice. There is something. And I'm going to tell you, as parents, what are we trying to do? We're trying to impart biblical identity to these kids, that, that, that God is raising you up to be what he made you to be. And that's exactly what the blessings going all the way back to the very beginning um, are all about. And so, so speaking those things to them and praying those things over them, um, it's just so vital. But that, that physical touch, that gentle physical touch to say, I am your parent, God has entrusted you to my stewardship, and I want to pronounce blessing over you. Um, is such a powerful thing. So thanks for mentioning that because I didn't even think about it, but that's that's such a vital part of imparting that blessing to your child. Well, and that makes me think of the elementary principles in Hebrew 6, right? I mean, one of them is the laying on of hands. Yep. Um, I mean, and that's, you know, probably talking more about, you know, the general passing on of, you know, discipleship and blessing to, you know, not necessarily your family, but like, who is your more important disciples than you know your family and your kids? Right? Yeah, that's right. You, disciple making starts at home, mm. and um, that's an important thing. And so, if you have a roommate, disciple making starts at home. If you have a, a husband or wife, disciple making starts at home. If you have children, disciple making starts at home. Um, I think dogs go to heaven anyway, um, so you know you just rub their belly and they're good. Yeah, yeah. Cats, I don't know. Uh, I'm joking. Don't email. I'm joking. 
if you have a question about what kind of pet will go to heaven, then you can. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh my. Uh, uh, any other questions that you might have as a listener, um, you can send to us. Uh, there's a link in the show notes, or you can just comment on the post below. Jeff, can you pray us out for well, today? Let, before then, let me say. <laughs> <laughs> that one of the angriest messages I ever got. We had somebody call in the broadcast because I made a joke about cats like that, and they were irate. Uh, and so please understand that was just a joke. I love cats too. That was just a joke. So let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your love for us. We confess that we love because you first loved us, and we pray that you would help us to abide in that love and to live out our faith in a way that has a tangible impact in others' lives. We thank you for Paul and Silas and their willingness to worship you even in the midst of their storm, and that that worship and their prayers spoke to the hearts of other prisoners and to the heart of the Philippian jailer. And we pray that as we navigate life, that as we continue to live out our faith and we do so uh, unafraid to pray and praise you even before others, that our life of faith would speak to them as well. Father, we love you. We trust you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editors are Chadwick Walden and Fu Ying Engdahl.